0: Welcome to the Datebook podcast. I'm your host, theater critic Lily Janik. When I learned that Daryl V. Jones had taken the helm of Lorraine Hansberry Theater, I was thrilled. He stole the show as a drag queen in Theater Rhinoceros' Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and he's brought a sure hand as a director to productions at the Aurora Theater Company. A sure hand is what the Hansberry needs. The Legacy Black Theater, founded in 1981 has been plagued with troubles since 2008, losing its venues, its founders dying, and more recently, a slew of rescheduled and canceled productions. This is despite the noble efforts of Jones's predecessors, Aldo Billingsley and Stephen Anthony Jones, who worked doggedly to keep the theater going. Stephen Anthony Jones, in his seven-year tenure, got the company out of debt, which is no small feat. I talked to Daryl today about his vision for the company and the show he's directing for it, The Urban Retreat by Azel Williams. Daryl clarified after our interview that his title should be Acting Artistic Director instead of Artistic Director, since he and the Hansberry are still testing each other out on a trial basis, though he hopes the position will become permanent. A few things you'll hear us mention in the podcast. When you hear Daryl say Adrian, he's talking about local actor Adrian Roberts. One of the leads in the urban retreat. Likewise, the name Trench refers to a character in that play. Finally, when we say Lort Theaters, that refers to the League of Regional Theaters, a group of some of the biggest and most powerful nonprofit theaters throughout the country. Now let's get to it. So, welcome, Daryl, the new much. artistic director, current artistic director of Lorraine Hansberry Theater. What an honor. Congratulations.
1: Well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. And it is an honor um, to be appointed uh, to uh, the Lorraine Hansberry Theater uh, in part because of its important history and what it's done here in the San Francisco community. But also, it's important uh, to to honor and to, continu- to continue to honor the legacy of Lorraine Hansberry. And um, that's where... We'd like to see us moving forward, honoring her vision of not just theater, but what America should be.
0: Ooh, that's that's really exciting, and I love how you jumped right into that. And when I was talking to, in a previous interview, your predecessor, Aldo Billingsley, he talked a little bit about that as well, like specifically what... Lorraine Hansberry wanted theater to be, and the fact that the theater is named after this woman of color who was this amazing writer. Um, So what what does her vision of theater and the country mean to you?
1: Great, and if you will, I would like to read a little quote from a a biography of hers that's online. Much of her work during this time concerned the African struggle for liberation and their impact on the world. That resonates with me because the majority of the African-American theater canon was focused on redefining the African-American experience outside of the stereotypes that were created during minstrelsy and slavery um, that were created to demean, to marginalize, to make less than human um, a population of people. The African-American theater, dating all the way back to, if we can call slave narratives, they're, they're not necessarily theater, but they have been theatricalized. They, in a slave narrative, you really understood the life of an enslaved person. So it wasn't just a slave as chattel, it was a person being treated as chattel. Um, And through through illuminating their lives, through illuminating the lives, the continued struggle of African-Americans through the Harlem Renaissance, through the civil rights movement, through the black arts movement, theater has been opening up the truth and revealing the real experience of African-Americans. And in so liberating us from, the, from those heinous stereotypes that were um, created to marginalize, demean, make African-Americans seem less than other. So the theater and Lorraine, Hansberry, Lorraine Hansberry's vision of theater was about expressing and telling and l- the truth and liberating African-Americans from that bondage of the past.
0: And that project isn't over
1: and it is so not over. And so as we move the theater company forward, and as we, we are continuing to look at issues that affect the African-American community, but in addition, African-Americans, every time they attacked an issue of, of, of oppression or segregation, they paved the way for others to then follow suit So African Americans were always sort of at the forefront of the battle and they made it easier for others to come along. So we will continue to do plays that reflect the African American experience. But in addition, being African American isn't only being downtrodden or oppressed. So plays that deal with the African American middle class, plays that deal with just family issues, plays like Dot, Uh, I'm
0: thinking also about your recent playwrights competition in which... So this was held at the end of 2018, I believe. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Or in fall. And uh, part of the rules were a submitted play must be... It must have roles for older African-American women. And it has to be really funny.
1: Yes. Well, that was because... Aldo, the, the previous uh, interim artistic director, uh, very wisely was concerned that so many of the African-American plays that are being programmed are very heavy and are dealing with current social issues that are important. For instance, they're dealing with, um, I'm directing a couple coming up, that deal with the um, the unjustified shooting of, of young African-American men and women um, and how, um, how that's become sort of institutionalized in our society that we accept this because we still, it's, it's, you know, they've done studies, they put electrodes on the brain, and they still show that if you show the picture of a, a, an African-American teenage man and then an Asian and then a Latino, or whatever, the fear factor goes way off the charts when they're looking at an African-American Um, So yes, it's important to still do plays that do address the social maladies that uh, continue to plague this country. Um, But there's so much more to the African American experience. So I think Aldo was looking to find those plays that go outside of that. The media has a tendency to focus on, and probably rightly so to a degree, but the media focuses on the extremely oppressed population, uh, uh, African American population, and gives less attention to the middle class, the very successful doctors and lawyers and teachers and professors and etc. Um, right.
0: Where and, are the stories about them?
1: And there are stories about them. We have to find them and we have to bring them forward. And in so doing, we also want to continue to tell stories about other oppressed people um, uh, in this country.
0: Yeah, I feel like I've seen in um, a revised version of the mission statement um, for Lorraine Hansberry Theater, African American stories, black stories, and those of other marginalized, historically oppressed groups. Yes. So it sounds like you see that as part of the vision going forward for the company.
1: Absolutely, because I think... You know, it's been historically a, an African-American theater company. It will always be that. But I feel sometimes that in calling it an African-American theater company, it's it segregates itself from being um, just a theater company. Just a theater company that is doing good theater, that is just as as artistically meritorious and valuable as work that's being done in other theater companies that are not marginalized. So I would like to see the company just a powerhouse as a theatrical entity. Right on. Um, And I can be that. We have so much amazing talent here in the Bay Area. We've got... um, whether it's african-american white latino asian whatever and we want the theater company to be a home for this talent so right now the job is for me is reaching out to to all kinds of artists the the very high um level professional artists to bring their expertise in to get young people to learn from them to infuse the theater company with a whole new energy, a whole new level of excellence um, in the work that we do. If you build it, they will come, but what you gotta build is is good work. So our priority, or my priority at this time, is to continue to do theater at its finest, and if that means that we are not doing five shows a season, but we are doing three, that, are, four, all really that are all really excellent, all really excellent, and that have social importance, and and also are very entertaining. I I like to think of theater as the triple E medium. <laughs> we do theater to enlighten, educate, and entertain.
0: So. I'm familiar with your work prior to LHT in a whole variety of media. I've seen you as a wonderful drag performer in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert with Theater Rhino. And I've seen you direct two extraordinary shows at Aurora Theater Company. I'm thinking of both Detroit 67 by Dominique Morisot and The Royale. And you're also a professor of theater at Cal State East Bay, right? Yes. So that is quite a resume you're bringing to this job. Um, I wonder, for you, as you were thinking about helming this institution with this huge legacy dating back to 1981, what were the factors in your decision-making process? Like, what were you thinking about?
1: There's kind of an easy answer to that. Oh, that's great. Uh, Everything that I have has been given to me by a higher power. Hmm. It's outside, I I, I can't, I I didn't create me, I didn't create my talents, I didn't create my gifts. And I've been doing this for a long time. I started doing theater when I was in elementary school. So what made me say.
0: Wait a minute though, first roll, what were you?
1: (laughs) Okay. The first role I can remember, and this is funny, my friend Louis Coliani, who is a very well-known voice and speech coach, he, we he, we were in the acting class together. I, I was Count Hugo. <laughs> I was Count Hugo into Spiegel*. Oh, um, wow. Uh,
0: that is a first role I've never heard of before. <laughs> Usually we're like, tree number two.
1: Nope, I was Count Hugo, but then after that, shortly, I was Charlie Brown in Your Good Man Charlie <laughs> right Brown. Right on. Then I took the play back to elementary school, redirected it, featuring myself, and <laughs> then, in junior high school, it's middle school these days, but it was junior high when I was in school, um, I produced it again, and we made a touring company. and we actually went to churches and to to um, the children's hospital in DC and performed the show.
0: Was it this is still Charlie Brown?
1: This was Charlie Brown, and this is kids in junior high school putting this together.
0: So what I'm hearing is that you were basically an artistic director from middle school on.
1: Kinda yes.
0: That's (laughs) fabulous. Kinda
1: yes. And when I, I was at rehearsal the other day and I was looking at these talented young actors and and Adrian and I just said, this is important work
0: Mm -hmm. that
1: I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And while there's a trend these days to go younger and younger with artistic directors and and um, and staffs and theater companies, and it's really important to get that the youth involved. It's that I'm not denying that. Sure. But at the same time, I just considered all the experience that I have, and I said, "This is a gift. This is a gift, and I can't hide it under a bushel. I need to share this gift with." young actors, young designers, with with and with the community. So whatever accolades I get, and, and I have to say I'm good at what I do, but it's not coming for me. And I'm doing as I'm led to do. And it's important to me to keep the Lorraine Hansberry alive and thriving. And I think I said yes because I saw that I, have the skills to do that.
0: That's that's really lovely, and I, I envy both your self-confidence and the fact that you attribute it to something larger than yourself.
1: I have to, <laughs> I have to. You know, I, I, I lost my mother um, two weeks ago, and um, I sang at her funeral, well, director I directed her funeral but uh, <laughs> I, I I sang at the funeral and I I you know so many people from the past um, were there I think sometimes we forget the importance we play in people's lives and how we've touched them along the way and I heard from so many people and um, that sort of reaffirmed for me that this journey that we're on here is bigger than us there's so much going on outside of us that we don't even know we don't even know when people love us when they care about us sometimes so there's how could I possibly take credit for um the gifts that that God gave to me or higher power gave to me um when I didn't do it I just I'm the vessel I'm the vessel
0: now um you, you had written me about your, your mother before we set up this interview. Uh, I think um, you mentioned that that was in Baltimore, is that right? Mm-hmm,
1: in the, in, in, um, in the Baltimore, Washington area, yes. S-
0: is that where you grew up? Yes. And what brought you to the Bay Area originally?
1: Originally, it was the job at uh, Cal State East Bay.
0: So would, it, would I offend you greatly if I asked you how long you've been there now?
1: Now you better not offend me. Sometimes I'm actually amazed. Um, <laughs> it's been 14 years, and we have a, a, a really dedicated and committed faculty and theater program. We continually go to the Kennedy Center of American College Theater Festival and win awards. Last year the show, a devised piece that we did called CSU Ferguson, um, won numerous awards at the regional festival and then it went on to win to continue to win more at the in dc it's a wonderful thriving department unfortunately it's a state school yep Yep. and it's in the teaching the teaching university of the states you know system you have the uc which is tier one and research and then you have the csu system so I have to be honest and say that I question whether or not there is a an understanding and a commitment to understanding the importance of theater on humanity in the state system. Everything is stem these days, stem stem stem.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um and so as we watch our, you know, funding decrease and um it's disheartening at times.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. When you first moved out here for for that job, what struck you about the Bay Area theater scene? Like, what did you notice as a newcomer?
1: Well, when I first moved out here, I was impressed by the fact that so much theater was mm-hmm. happening.
0: Oh, so. I'm overwhelmed by it on the daily. Yeah. I cannot fathom it all.
1: I was... I. I was impressed by that, and I also here's something. Maybe on the East Coast, we 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 are sometimes a little snobby. Um,
0: <laughs> well, Northern Californians <coughs> are never snobby. Well,
1: n- well actually, <laughs> no, we are. They, they might be, but in a in a in a very there, there's much more acceptance. Uh, this is what impressed me when mm-hmm. I got here. There was much more acceptance that anybody can do theater. That every the theater. Can be for everybody, you know, and prior, and that took me a while to adjust to, mm. because on the East Coast I had been in the traditional, Lort Theater track, you know, I, I had worked at Arena Stage as a directing associate, and I was directing at um, regional theaters like Woolly Mammoth, and I directed off Broadway, you know, you start to think, well, no, there's a certain Way the theater should be done. There's a certain kind of level of excellence and, and a certain level of artistic uh, expression. But then, when I came here, I saw that that it, things might not necessarily have been as polished,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but um, but there was great enthusiasm. There was great that theater was act, theater was accessible to more people. And that more the more accessible it becomes to people, then the more they enjoy it, the more the audiences grow, and it, it just felt like the theater here was really embedded in the community in a different way than it was for me on the East Coast. So that stuck out. As since I've been here, I've really appreciate all of the small theater companies um, that are that are sometimes struggling, but still hanging in there and doing just great work. Um,
0: Like who? Who are some of your favorites?
1: Crowded Fire. Right on. Ubuntu. So good. Aurora. Aurora. Um, um, You know, a lot of people are doing great work, but um, I I guess I have to say that if there's any kind of theater companies that I'm kind of looking at, observing closely to see how we might move the Lorraine Hansberry forward, I have to say that Ubuntu and Crowded Fire are certainly ones that I'm, um, I'm interested in how they are functioning, um, but at the same time, it's important for us to, as we sort of redefine ourselves and continue to grow, we're making, we're doing partnerships with, um, with small and large companies, in an effort to continue to to bring other artists into the fold, and to continue to build our audiences, make more people aware of us, and to establish good working relationships with our peers.
0: I saw that you had partnered with Marin Theater Company and Ubuntu on How I Learned What I Learned, Mm -hmm. which I believe just closed, is that right?
1: It closed for us, but it still has one more run at Ubuntu. Right. So you can still see it if you haven't seen it. It stars Stephen Anthony Jones, the former artistic director of the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. And it's directed by Margo Hall, who everybody knows.
0: What are some of the other partnerships you'll be pursuing?
1: I'm directing Kill Move Paradise for Shotgun in um, in the summer. We open July 5th, as a matter of fact. And so um, we we have have a plan in place to make that a partnership. One
0: thing that's been, you know, kind of sad to see... Actually, like, SAD sad doesn't even begin to cover it. It's just to take in all the different tragedies and hardships Lorraine Hansberry has weathered. The company lost its Sutter Street space in 2008. In 2010, its two founders died within months of each other of totally separate causes and then lost its bid on a replacement space. Then, um, thankfully, Stephen Anthony Jones took over. Um, He stepped down in 2017, and there's been a lot of schedule changes, a few postponed or canceled productions, and nobody who cares about theater likes seeing news like that, and I wonder how you think about bringing some stability to the company.
1: Well, as you we were saying that, the thought that came to mind was, and still I rise.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yes, it's been through hard times, but we are still going to rise, and we're going to find our way back, back on the map, big time. The way that I see bringing stability to the company is, one, for a while, the company had uh, a program called... Bringing arts to the audiences, the Bada um, and the Bada series, and those were a series of readings that we did all primarily. over the place. Yeah, we did them so all many over different the place. venues. But pr- it sort of eventually it, the primary venues were MoAD Museum of the African Diaspora and IT Bookman Library, and then of course there were also other readings done at other places. That series is going to come to an it's going to go on hiatus, okay for a while, because even though they're readings, we were doing about eight different readings of, of plays a year. Your calendar or more. was full <laughs> and it was it was a lot and it, and you know people say, oh, it's just a reading, but it still means that you've got to have a director, you've got to have rehearsals, so you've got to promote it, all of that stuff. so I, along with Stephanie Schaffner, the executive director of the theater company, we felt that. We, could cut, we should cut back on the number of readings we're doing because it's taking our time and our focus and our energy away from doing main stage productions. So moving forward, we're going to do far fewer readings mm-hmm. and focus on the main stage productions. Focus on the, the first play that's scheduled for next season um, actually, is the winner of the Playwrights Festival Ooh. that we did, and it's called Pancake Queen by Bree Knight, and that was also. Um, I was so happy that a woman won, and that it's a dealing with a woman's story, an African American woman's story. It's based on the, the real woman who was the first woman hired to play um, Aunt Jemima um, in trade shows to promote the this new instant pancake mix <laughs> that had never been done before. It's funny, I never thought that like somebody had to invent instant pancake mix, but they did. Um, <laughs> and then they hired this woman to, to be the mammy and sell the product. Um, so the play is um, based on her, and it's somewhat fictionalized. But I say that to say that as we move forward, we're committed to choosing plays that are by African American or what, by women, period, that also tell women's stories. You know, occasionally, it's, it's happened, someone will say, why do they keep hiring men for that position? And I have to say, well, in this case, right now, it's because this man saw a need. Mm-hmm. Um, and he jumped in to fill the need. But I do think it's imperative that as we move forward that women playwrights are represented and that we bring in female designers. So I've made sure that um, with the Urban Retreat, which is the show that we're going to talk about in a minute, that we've got female designers involved. We've got people of color involved. So that's one of the commitments I, uh, in helping the theater move forward is that putting women first. Giving them their, you know, giving them a a really important and primary place in our programming and and in the production work that we do. I also, as I've said before, um, in moving forward, we want to do more musicals.
0: Whoa! It's
1: been a it's been decades since the Lorraine Hansberry has done a musical outside of the annual Christmas concert, and if there's anything that will get people into uh, an audience, uh, into those seats. It's doing a black musical with lots of singing and dancing and energy and uh, telling a good story. Um, so we want to see more musicals. We also we want to balance the heavy, the plays like Kill Move Paradise, with lighter fare as well, so that people also can come and laugh and have a good time.
0: So let's talk about the show that you're directing right now. Uh, so this is The Urban Retreat by Azel Williams. And this runs March 22nd through April 6th at the AAACC, which is the African American Art and Culture Complex for those not in the know. Tell us about what drew you to the script.
1: Uh, well, Aldo drew me to the script. Uh, <laughs>
0: well, that's one way to learn about a show.
1: <laughs> that's one way to learn about it. Aldo shows this play as the outgoing artist interim artistic director and I'm so glad that he did because while it's not a musical it's it's about hip-hop so there are lots of raps in it and there's a lot of movement it's an important very important play I believe that explores the relationship and the between a young African American um, rap artist and uh, a man who initially he doesn't necessarily want to be, but this man eventually becomes his mentor and uh, gets him to 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 live his as his authentic self r- rather than. To continue to have this thug image that was promoted by the record industry as a way to, to sell records and make money. There's the theme of African American mentorship. Um, and, and, you know, there's that famous image of the hand reaching down for the other one and helping to bring it up. So that theme is fully realized in the play. It also discusses the dichotomy between sociopolitical rap music with what that has a heart and, a, and good intentions to make social change and to make life better for people versus what we have, what eventually happened to rap music uh, it became gangster rap that many, many um, academics will argue is modern day minstrelsy um, it's depicting African American young men as vicious thugs who want to drink, party, um, womanize, and it's all about all about making that money, making that money. But it explores the issue of being a sellout for money versus being your authentic self and and holding on to your the artistic values of art for. For change and art to empower people versus art just to make bucks. Because it, with, the, with the gangster rap, that is marketed all across the world as, as African-American behavior.
0: This is what it is to be an African-American man.
1: Yes. And that it might be in some cases. I'm not going to say that it isn't. But there's so much more. The play also brilliantly, <laughs> brilliantly discusses the, the. It's about writers. It's about writing, so the power of words is important in this play, and it's and he's realized it in so many layers. Um, the power of words to heal. The power and and that ties back to the power of telling your real story, because. You can tell a fake story. You can tell this story about, oh yeah, I'm this thug from the streets, and I and I sold drugs and I hustled and everything. And while that might there might be elements of that that are truth, the play challenges us to think that no, there's more power in telling your real story. It's harder for you to do, but if you tell your truth, it's going to resonate with somebody else.
0: Well, that's a vulnerable thing to do.
1: Yes, and and especially when your entire image is contrary to that.
0: Yeah, you can't show vulnerability.
1: Right. So, in I, I don't want to give too much away, but through the course of the play, the mentor um, chips away at this, at Trench's image. This play has generational appeal because it's got this young cast of these rap artists and everything, and it's uh, but. It also has the older character of Chaucer and dealing with this young artist. So, you know, it becomes father son. And any parent out there that's dealing with a kid <laughs> that, that is, is going in a direction that they don't think that that child should be going in, this is the play to see. Any young artist out there, rap artist or whatever, that is trying to decide how they want to brand themselves and what they want to represent, how they want to represent themselves and their people. This is the play to see.
0: So again, this is Azel Williams' The Urban Retreat. It runs March 22nd through April 6th at African American Art and Culture Complex, and it's directed by LHT's new artistic director, Mr. Daryl V. Jones. Daryl. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It has been my pleasure.
0: This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Stephen Boyle. This show is produced by me. For more theater coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Lily Janik. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.